name we pray. Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody here. Actually, I can't see everyone. There's some people that are joining us online. We're glad that you guys are here, too. Uh, it is a little bit different having people here, isn't it? it it's kind of cool. Um, so if we seem a little bit awkward, it's because we're used to this place kind of being empty and it's just been us for about 10 weeks or so. Uh, but we're glad to have you guys back. And and for those who are still joining online, if if somehow you didn't get word and you're like, what? They have the church open. Yes, we do. Um, but you don't have to come back. Uh, one of the cool things that we've we've discovered during all this is we have this whole digital option. So you can join us online. Then that'll be on our YouTube channel um, recorded forever i guess i don't know until jesus comes back or youtube kicks it off however that works um but we're glad that you either you're joining us online or you're joining us in person uh glad to have some people that are here so so as, as we awkwardly make these adjustments as we go back through in the next several weeks and and by the way we have plenty of room uh, does anybody feel crowded in here at all nobody no uh, in fact i i forgot to say uh, in the first service um, you guys can't really see it online, but we have first class seating. Uh, this is almost, almost as good as first class on an airplane. Um, it's better unless you're expecting someone to bring you some snacks and stuff, because that's not going to happen here. I'm so sorry. Uh, so we're glad to have you here. Uh, we've been in a series in Luke and I've really enjoyed going through this. I, I hope you have too. Uh, taking a, a little chunk at a time uh, as we've been going. We're still in chapter one uh, as we go. Uh, part of the reason for that is, you know, Luke's got like 80 verses in chapter one. So we're kind of camping out here a bit. We're, we're finishing up uh, that today. I, I just want to make sure. Yes, uh, we're finishing up uh, chapter one today. And and just a quick little recap uh, as we head into today's message. Um, so Luke uh, was a doctor. Uh, Luke, uh, as you can tell in the beginning, uh, said that he he thought since there had been many writings about the life and the ministry of Jesus, that, that he would write an orderly account. And he's writing to a man named Theophilus. Uh, some think that that's a pseudonym, that it's not a real name uh, because it means in the Greek, uh, lover of God. Uh, I think since he uses the name that it's real and Luke is writing to Theophilus, this this man, and giving, giving an account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, because of that, because we know um, a, a couple of things about Luke, that he is a physician and that he set out to write an account, uh, Luke's gospel is pretty detailed, and we can see that as we go, especially uh, as we head into chapter 2. We're going to see uh, some of the detail, which I think is way cool. The more detail we have in Scripture, the easier it is to verify uh, the things that, that the Bible's talking about. And we said it in the Old Testament as well as the New. But the other thing that's unique about Luke, actually half of the gospel writers, you may not know this, um, Matthew was a disciple of Jesus and John was a disciple of Jesus, but the two in the middle, Mark and Luke, were not. Mark was a disciple of Peter, and so Mark's really writing the gospel of Jesus according to Peter. Luke just goes and interviews all these people. Luke actually got to hang out with Paul. He hung out with a lot of the disciples, the 12 apostles. And, and so Luke is, is investigated, really, and he's writing a detailed account of the gospel. So he begins uh, with this guy named Zechariah who's in the temple. Uh, he's a priest. He's doing his priestly duties. He's all by himself. Zechariah gets visited by the angel Gabriel, who tells him, that God has heard your and your wife's uh, Elizabeth's prayers and that God is going to grant you a son. I, I love 
Uh, Zechariah um, had been around a little bit. You know, he'd been married a while because he was a little bit smart. He said, how can this be since I am old and my wife is advanced in years? <laughs> and, and, and so because of his little bit of doubt, what he basically says to Gabriel is, I need proof. Prove it to me. So Gabriel says, okay, if you need a sign, I'll give you one. You're not going to be able to speak until all these things have come to pass. Well, uh, you know, from basic biology, that's about nine months uh, that, that Zechariah couldn't speak. Um, in the meantime, the angel Gabriel went to Mary, uh, made the proclamation that God's own son would be born through Mary. And so Mary's response is far more mature than Zechariah the priest. That, that sounds bad for the priesthood and pastors. Uh, and Mary basically said, I am your servant. May it be done to me according to your word. You, you do to me uh, according to your word. I'm yours and let your will be done in my life. And so, so Zechariah kind of messed up a little bit, but he's not talking. Um, he's learning his lesson. What, anybody ever there? You ever need to, to be learned a lesson? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I got to learn the same lesson more than once, unfortunately. But God's loving and patient. He does that for me. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, who we assume is her sister, just as relative in Scripture, but a trusted friend. And she goes, and, and Elizabeth gives this proclamation, really this kind of prophecy uh, about Mary and the child that she's going to bear. Um, Mary then sings this song of praise uh, about what God is doing in her life. And, and then, uh, so nine months have gone by, Zechariah and his wife, so Elizabeth uh, gives birth to John, this child, which his name means the grace of the Lord or the Lord is gracious. So she gives birth to him. And, and you gotta, you got to know things were, were quite a bit different back then. Uh, uh, they didn't have cell phones. Um, there was no internet. No. So the, the, it was different then. They would have the child, and then especially for a boy, eight days later at the circumcision at the temple, that's where they would give the name. So the day has come. It's been eight days since John is born. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, I might have said Mary a moment ago. I keep getting those mixed up. Zechariah and Elizabeth um, go to the temple, and, and the family is going there. This is a big deal that they do. So the family and friends, and they're going, um, and, and they're asking what the name of the child's going to be. And, and they are thinking, the friends and family, they're going to name the child after Zechariah for a couple of reasons. One is it's a boy, and that's typically you would name it after the father somehow. It You'd name him after the father somehow. And so uh, they, they, they head into this, and they ask Mary, and Mary said, his name shall be John. And I said Mary again, didn't I? Okay, Mary was somewhere else. Elizabeth, her sister, said his name shall be John. And, and, and then she starts getting grief from her family and her friends. You know, nobody in your family's named John. Why, why are you giving this child a name that doesn't go with any of the family? He's not carrying on Zechariah's name. He's not carrying on your family name. And, and so uh, then they go and they ask Zechariah. Now, Zechariah hasn't been able to speak for nine months. He can hear just fine. Men have selective hearing, I know, don't we? Um, but but he can hear just fine and they start making signs to him i don't know what that looks like you know early early charades and and i i just can imagine zechariah is going people i can hear okay you can talk i'm the one that has to make signs he asked for a tablet 
And in the tablet, this is where he takes his stand. And this happens sometimes to us that we just have to take a stand on God's word. Trust me, there was no small amount of pressure from their friends and their family about the name. This was huge for them. And he writes, his name is John. (laughs) Not that it's going to be, not that we think we should. He is standing firmly on God's word. He takes a stand. And that's where we left off last week, that Zechariah makes this proclamation, this declaration, really, I'm taking my stand on what God has told us to do, uh, even in the face of pressure from friends and family, and we are naming him John. In fact, he already said his name is John. Immediately, Zechariah could speak. So, so I, I love it whenever you see something like this uh, in Scripture, the next response is what you really want to look for, right? Hey, we've all been through trials and testings. Anybody? Okay, well, just, maybe just me. Hey, I, I don't know. And, and, and it's our response to that. That, that really matters. And so here's Zechariah's response. Let's look at verse 67. We'll read through verse 80. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. I didn't mention this in the first, uh, uh, first hour, but um, he's, this is actually... Sorry. It sounds bad coming from a pastor, but I needed a drink. <clears throat> just a little one. It's water. Um, just so you know. This, we forget this a whole lot. The New Testament is written in Greek. You, you remember that, right? Zechariah, especially to his friends and his family, is speaking Hebrew. Okay? So we need to remember that. This, this little formula that he uses here is a Hebraic. This is used in, in Hebrew, and you see it a whole lot in the Old Testament. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. What he's saying, really, in Greek, that comes out as Adonai and Theos are the words for Lord and God. In the Hebrew, what he's saying is blessed be Yahweh. He's giving the name for the one true God, Yahweh Elohim. And, and that's a formula you'll see a whole lot in, in the Old Testament. So he's saying that, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, what he's talking about here is the fulfillment of the promise of the Christ, the Messiah. And, and this is in Jesus. And, and so he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to prophesy is a word that's used there. But, but he's really making this declaration about the Messiah, the promised one, and that is Jesus, who is still five or six months uh, away from, from being born. And then he does something that amazes me here. I, I love this. And, and you guys know, because I've said this to you a whole lot, I, I try to put myself in Scripture when, when I'm reading it, and I try to picture what the scene would be like. So here's the family and the friends. He's just taken his stand on what God's Word has said. His name is John. He immediately now can speak. 
and he begins to prophesy. And what he's talking about is, is this thing that we've waited for for all these years that we've heard from generation to generation to generation that God is going to bring a Messiah. Guys, this is coming to pass, right? Now remember, this is at the circumcision of his child. Then he turns in verse 76 to John, his little baby boy. And he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then the little commentary that Luke puts here, And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. I I just can't, I can't imagine, because I usually do as I put myself there. But imagine with me, his friends and his family, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He talks about finally, finally the coming of the Messiah. But, but let's don't forget that Zechariah was a dad. And Zechariah turns, and then he speaks to his eight-day-old little boy. And, and, and I would hope, I would imagine that Zechariah repeated these words over and over to John, the, whom we know as John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist. I'll just give you the the big idea, and then we'll kind of unpack it in the the time we have remaining this morning. The big idea is this, that a father's words to his children has tremendous, they have tremendous influence in their lives. And and we don't realize this a whole lot. If we go and read James, we read about the power of words. James says words are, are, are... so powerful they can they can set a whole forest on fire uh, they're like the rudder of this huge ship this tiny little thing that actually drives this whole ship and something that we need to remember as as fathers and and even just as men um, is that our words have tremendous influence I, I think about with with my two kids and you guys know I have daughters um, 20 no it feels like 20 sometimes I have two daughters you guys didn't even didn't even blink when I said that. Like, so I, I think about with them and and the huge responsibility that I have as a father. And I look at Zechariah. And and I see this early. It says he prophesied, and I relate that more to what he says about Jesus. I see what Zechariah says about John, his little boy, as a blessing. And, and so what I see here. It is at this this momentous occasion where they name the child that he speaks blessing over his son. And and we know that that God brought this about. That was God's purpose in in bringing John into the world. But but sometimes dads, we just don't realize the influence that we have. The, the power of a father's blessing in the lives of his children. And, and we don't even use those words a whole lot anymore, do we? You know, I, I tease all the time when, when these teenagers sneeze, I'll say, bless you, my child. You know? But we don't use those words a whole lot. And, and I, I'm trying to make the switch uh, to use the word blessing a whole lot more, especially 
uh, in the lives of my kids. So, so let me tell you, there's only three things, so don't get worried. And, um, well, I guess you guys have to go somewhere and eat. See, I'm so used to not being worried about finishing on time because everybody's watching at home already. It's an adjustment, isn't it? Man. <laughs> so three things that I believe that we as fathers, and this is parents in general, but particularly to, to us dads, that we as fathers need to demonstrate. The, the first one is this. We need to demonstrate love. In, in, in the way that we speak to our kids, we need to demonstrate love. And, and it's an unconditional love. Uh, one of the things that I became convinced about a long time ago is that particularly as fathers, as parents in general, but particularly as fathers, is that we are the reflection of God to our kids. Let that sink in just for a second. That parents, fathers, are the reflection of God to their kids. I believe as a father, one of my big responsibilities to my children is that I reflect what a relationship with God looks like. That's a big calling, isn't it? That's huge. And I need to be sure that what I am demonstrating to them is love and that it's God-like love, that it's an unconditional love. And there are a couple of things that, that go along with that. First of all, what they need to hear loud and clear in my demonstration from my words to them is that there will never be a time when I don't love them. Now, you would think kids know that, right? I mean, don't they? Dads, we need to be sure that we are demonstrating that in our words to them. This is the foundation of not only our relationship with them, but their relationship with God. You've probably talked with people before, I know I have, that think that they've done things that God could never forgive them for. The, The translation of that is God could never love me because of what I've done. And that's not true. And we need to be sure as parents, as we reflect what a relationship with God looks like, is that we, we let them know, we give them that solid foundation of there is nothing that can change our love for them. They don't have to earn my love, my kids don't, and they can't do anything to make me stop loving them. That's big, but that's crucial. Without that, kids don't have a foundation. And, and dads, we can, we can say that to them in so many different ways. In fact, we're going to get into uh, the, the next one here in a minute uh, about how we're to do that almost on a continual basis. The, the verse that, that I, I like to, to think of with this as God relates to us is Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. Here's what it says. For, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's where we can mess up, men. When we lead our children to think that our love for them depends on what they do, 
And, and I always go to the negative when I think about this. Okay, well, I need to be careful that I'm not saying, and, and we probably don't say we're a little bit more enlightened, I think, now than generations past. Um, but but we, we need to make sure that we don't say stuff like, you're a bad kid. That's hard, isn't it? Maybe not. Maybe not for you. But we say it in a lot of different ways. And I tend to, to go toward the negative, so I need to be sure that I'm not, I'm not equating their behavior with who they are. I'm not equating their behavior with their worth as far as the, the negative things go. But uh, we need to be careful, and this is where I, I think uh, the, the pendulum maybe has swung a little bit too far the other way. We need to be careful in our praising of them that they don't get the idea that they have to do good things for us to love them. That they don't have to be good for us to love them. Because, listen, there is no one good. Jesus was the only one. And if they get that impression for us, so if we only praise them when they do good things, if, oh, you did a great job, and I'm not saying that you can't say that, but, but you did a great job, if we're only using those as expressions of love even though those are uplifting that's still giving them the idea that i have to earn my father's love and listen men when they get that in their relationship with you they equate that with their relationship with god we need to make sure that they know that there will never be a time when we don't love them ever now i don't know what it's going to look like in heaven you know, um, I, I know these relationships that we have here are, are going to be different um, in heaven. But but I told my daughters, um, I love you because you're my daughter. And as long as you're alive and I'm alive, I'm your daddy and you're my daughter. And I just love you because you're my daughter. Um, do you remember, uh, th- those of you who have kids before your kids were born, the love and affection you had for that lump. <laughs> Maybe it's not so much for moms. You know, for, for moms, you love them, but you're like, I'm just wait. I, I can't wait for this baby to be on the outside so someone else can help, you know. Especially if you have a kid born in the summer and somewhere hot like Yuma or Dallas-Fort Worth. But you, I, I remember with my kids... First of all, I knew their name before they were born. And I already loved them before I I knew anything about them except they were my kid. And that doesn't change. Now, if we're really honest, uh, parents with teenagers, you're going to get there someday. Parents with teenagers, if you're going to be really honest with your kid, you might have to say, I love you no matter what, but I don't like you a whole lot right now. I might be angry with you, but my love for you doesn't change. And they need to know that because you're going to get angry with them. There are going to be times where your relationship with them is strained. It's called teenage years. But they need that firm foundation of love. And men, we need to make sure that we demonstrate that to them, that we love them because they're our child. No other reason. We like them sometimes for things they do. We don't like some of the things they do, but we love them because they're our child. And that's really God's love for us. He loves us because we're his. He just chose to. Aren't you glad you can't do anything to make God stop loving you? Feel like me. We've tried, haven't we? 
in our little rebellious times. Here's the second thing. We need to demonstrate our presence. Now, my, my youngest daughter was here in the early one, and, and I didn't look at her, but I could almost see her eyes light up. This isn't the ones with bows on it. I don't mean we demonstrate presence giving. We need to demonstrate our presence in their life. And, and here's what we, what we need to, to make sure that they understand from this. There will never be a time when I'm not here for you. Now, my dad said something to my oldest sister, and I, I know he didn't really mean it, but I, I've always been really careful. I don't say anything like this to my kids. If you marry that guy, you're not welcome in this home again. Now, there was a good reason he didn't want her to marry that guy, and it didn't last really long. But I told my kids that until you get married, you have a room in this house. Now, after you get married, we have a guest room that you're welcome to come and visit us. (laughs) And I'm sure someday... You know, when, when grandchildren are involved, I'm not in a hurry. I said this in the early service. Um, I, I hear that being a grandparent is like the most amazing thing. And, and, and grandkids are wonderful. You spoil them rotten and send them back to their parents. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. But grandpa just seems like a name for somebody else, not, not me. And, and so, so uh, just in case my oldest hasn't heard this enough yet, um, that... I will not be called Pop Pop, G-Pop, Pappy is going to get you a spanking, um, um, that, that my grandchildren can call me Grandfather, Grandpa, Your Highness, or Sir. <laughs> Those are the choices that they have. But we need to make sure... That, that all through, because we, we, we need to think long-term. God sees the beginning and the end. We need to, to think long-term. And we need to be sure that they know that we will always be there for him. God does that for us. And, and in, in my generation, the pendulum had swung from really fathers that didn't have anything to do you know, with their kids. They didn't even know how to change a diaper you know, or anything. I remember when my, my oldest was born, I... I had her, she's a little baby in a stroller. We're at the mall. And I had so many people say, oh, you're babysitting. I'm like, no, she's mine. <laughs> you would never say that to a mother. When you're, watching, when you're watching your little kid, do they tell you, oh, you're babysitting? No, I'm watching my kid. So I said, no, this is my kid. So the pendulum went from dads that really didn't have anything to do with the raising of the kids to uh, like the the other way and 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 I remember that that the phrase that 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 I want to spend some quality time with my kid and the idea was I can cram a week's worth into some really an hour or a half hour of good quality time listen that doesn't work uh, biblically that doesn't work it, it's not quality or quantity it's quality and quantity so it's not quality time over quantity time. Which one should I choose? You choose them both. It's quality and quantity. And, and here's the verse that, that, I, that I take that from. is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And, and you guys probably know this. This is like one of my favorite passages in, in parenting. And this is verse 6. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit at your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So, so here's really what that's saying is we are teaching all the time our children. And dads particularly, we bear the responsibility for this. We are teaching our kids, and, and we can't, we, we can't sit down and have a talk with our kid and, and teach them. That is just not biblical that we do that. Now, I, I promise you, if you're a parent, um, you might even have to do this sometimes as a grandparent, you're going to sit down with your kid and have a talk, right? Um, my dad never had the talk with me. I, I don't know how I figured that out. But that's a whole different story. Man, I just wander off into that deep end sometimes. <laughs> Um, but I got more from my dad just by hanging out with him. Uh, putting electricity, he was building onto the store that he owned. That was the apartment we lived in. And just, just putting up walls, just hooking up electricity. Um, I've, I've learned a few important lessons along the way. And one of them is there's no such thing as a dead plug. But I don't care. I don't care if that wire is disconnected over there. I don't care if the power's out in the whole building. I don't care. I've been shocked by a plug that I was absolutely sure didn't have any electricity. I'm a little quick learner than my dad. He got shocked three times by the same plug. I don't know why he couldn't figure that out. But, but I learned more just being with him after my parents passed away, lived with my aunt and uncle, and just hanging out with my uncle, just doing stuff on the farm. Oh, my goodness, not that kind of farm. Um, we didn't have... I didn't have to milk the cows or anything, but um, driving the tractor, backing up a trailer. Um, my, I love my uncle. One of the best things he taught me, and he, he did this by example, was you always return something better than you found it. You ever been, you know, if you're going to borrow something, return it better than you got it. I'd be like, hey, you need to use my car. Of course, it's on empty, you know. <laughs> you need to use my car. And, and that's the way it is with us, that, that it's our presence that they, they learn from. That, that's, that has a huge influence. And, and not just that we're there physically, but that we're there emotionally, too. My, my daughter still, and, and I, I promised her I would work on this this week. Um, she'll probably give me a chance today to, to work on this. Um, I am, I'm not your typical guy, maybe. Guys, we do one thing at a time, don't we? That's, well, I have branched out. I can look at my phone and listen to you at the same time. I can. I, my daughter doesn't believe it either, right? And, and so she'll say, Dad, are you listening? Yes, honey, I'm listening. What did I say? And then I've got to repeat at least the important parts of what she said. We need to be present with them and and actually be there with them and and we need to demonstrate that that's huge in in their lives and then finally uh, the word that i give is pursuit we need to demonstrate pursuit and, and that is that we relentlessly pursue relationship with our children and this one gets hard when they get to be a teenager here's here's what i want us to think of with this there will never be a time when I don't want relationship with you. And one of my kids is grown and married. I still want relationship with her. But I, I, and I got a son now. This is great. 
Um, he hasn't chopped my wood in a while. We need to figure that out. But Oh, that's right. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but that w- there will never be a time that I don't want relationship with you. Uh-oh. He just came in. <laughs> What's up, son? <laughs> they did get me a log splitter. I got to say, like one of the best Christmas presents ever, ever, ever was a big honking, is it a 27-ton? Let's pretend like it is. Yeah, it's an 82-ton, no, log splitter. But there's never a time that that we don't want relationship with them. We need to relentlessly pursue, and listen, it's not your child's responsibility for your relationship with them. Did you know that? You are responsible for your relationship relationship with your child you are not them i know when i hit the teenage years man that gets a little bit hard especially the preteens i don't know man fourth and fifth grade those are some tough grades sixth grade it doesn't get better (laughs) but but i i don't know because we didn't have boys i I know girls the whole moody thing kind of happens you know do do guys get moody too yeah okay I don't know. I'm sure I didn't. I was a perfect preteen and teenager. Not. We pursue relationship with them. We are the ones who bear our responsibility for the relationship with them. And and it's hard because they get into the preteen and teenage years and man, they just kind of want to push away. And and sometimes, you know, you, you might not catch them at the wrong time. And when they do that, no one likes to be rejected, right? None of us like that feeling to be rejected. When they do that, it hurts. And, and our response, typically, what we want to do as a parent is say, fine, just go to your room. Just go on. Right? Never says that in Scripture about God and us. God never says, fine, go on. Now, I've experienced this myself. God does let me experience some of the consequences for my sin. Right? Thankfully, I don't get to experience them all, but some. But there's never a time in our relationship with God that God doesn't pursue us. And I see this in Genesis chapter 3. It's verses um, 8. Mine doesn't have a verse A. It's 8 through 13. Here's what it says. You, You remember this. Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another. Um. The serpent deceived Eve. She ate from the tree of the uh, the fruit of the tree of good and evil, and she or knowledge of good and evil. I'm trying to get ahead of myself. Gave it to Adam. He ate. He was there with her the whole time, and and uh, they they realized then the the consequences of their sin. They were ashamed. They were ashamed of one another. I mean, only two people in the whole wide world, and they got fig leaves. Now, that was a sign of separation. It, it created separation in them. And then, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God said, fine, go on your way. Is that what he said? No. Thankfully, it says the Lord God came and he called out to Adam. He called out to the man And he said, Adam, where are you? Not that he didn't know where Adam was, right? 
There's not a tree big enough you can hide from God. Did you know that? (laughs) Two things I believe God was doing here. One was he was trying to help Adam understand that Adam was now separated from God. But the second thing is he was pursuing relationship with him. You remember Adam's response? Oh, well, we heard you coming and we were naked, so we hid. And and then I, I love that was the first dolt kind of moment, you know, when God said, Adam, who told you you were naked? And Adam said, that woman, <laughs> the woman you gave me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And, and then God, really cool, continues to pursue relationship. He says, woman, what have you done? Eve, what have you done? And then this is where this all started, in case you didn't know. She said, the devil made me do it. (laughs) The serpent deceived me, and I ate. But don't you love that picture of God pursuing relationship? And he does that with us. I, I know for me, I was 15 when I came to faith in Christ, and God was pursuing me in relationship. I didn't realize it at the time. But I know that's what happened, and he, he got a hold of me, thankfully. And, and parents, dads especially, we are to pursue relationship with our child. Think about it this way. One day, you will stand before God and give an account for your relationship with your kids. You're thinking, where does it say that? Well, the principle is here. Eve is the one who sinned first, Right? God came looking for whom? Adam. Adam's the one that bears the responsibility in the family. And even more as parents, but as a father, that we are the reflection of God to our children, we actually get to demonstrate for them what a relationship with God looks like. And we're responsible for that relationship. Listen, I remember uh, when when Hope was born, Hillary was eight. So by the time we moved here, Hillary was, did I say that right? Hillary was 10 and Hope was two. Gosh, I only have two kids. You think I could keep their name straight? So Hillary's 10, Hope is two. And I remember them arguing. And and I, I looked at Hillary and I said, Hillary, she's two. Even if you won an argument with a two-year-old, and by the way, that doesn't happen. Even if you could win an argument with a two-year-old, congratulations, you won an argument with a two-year-old. But she said, honey, she's two. (laughs) She doesn't know what she's saying. (laughs) She's two. And parents, sometimes we want to say, yeah, but man, listen, you're the parent. And they're the child. And that's true. I cannot believe I'm going to say this out loud because it doesn't seem right. My oldest child, and she's still my child, is going to be 27 soon. I'm the parent and she's the child. And that changes. That's why teenage years are hard. Because that's where they change from childhood to adulthood and we get to help navigate, help them navigate through that time. So we go from teacher when they're young to helper when they're older. But listen, I still want a relationship with my oldest daughter. 
and my son-in-law who can split wood and stuff. I want a relationship. As long as they're alive and I'm alive, I want a relationship with them. God has given us tremendous influence as parents and especially as fathers. We have tremendous influence. Let's not waste it. Let's not waste it. Let's, and, and, and some of you may say, man, oh, I, there's already time passed and I haven't done that. You know what? God is so cool. He'll let you start right where you are. Right where you are. And, and that's one of the neat things about the position that we have as parents and as a dad. Is I can go to my kid. And this is still demonstrating relationship with God. I can go to my kid and say, honey, because I have girls. Honey, I messed up. And God's just convicted me that this is something I need to be doing, and I haven't been doing it, but I want to start doing it. And I promise you, that doesn't lose any ground at all with your kid. That gains ground with them. They don't lose respect for you for doing that. They gain respect for doing it. They know that you've been blowing it. That's no surprise to them. But for you to realize it, confess it to them. What are you doing? You're showing them what a relationship with God looks like. When we sin, what do we do? We go to God and we say, God, I sin. I'm sorry, forgive me. And we can model that with even with our relationship with our kids. So, so dads, let me challenge you this week. I was talking with Angelo earlier. Boy, I really get beat up with this a whole lot, with these kind of messages. God works on me the whole week before I preach it. My kids listen, and then I get to live it the next week. And if I don't, they say, but Dad. (laughs) So let me challenge you to begin to do these three things. Maybe even begin to do them more if you're already doing them. One, demonstrate unconditional love to your kids. Demonstrate that to them in the way you talk, and it might mean God has to change your words a little bit. Instead of saying, I'm proud of you, say, You're a blessing to me. That's a whole lot better way to say that because they're a blessing. They just are. When we say we're proud, what what we may imply is, is, Hey, you have to do things to make me proud or, in effect, to make me love you. You're a blessing to me demonstrate that to them in your actions and your words. But then demonstrate your presence with them. Bring them along to split wood. Mm, I don't know what it is. I guess I need to split wood. That's a point for me today. Bring them along with you. Spend time with them. Quality and quantity time. And then pursue relationship with them. Help them to understand that there's never going to be a time, as long as we're both alive, that I don't desire relationship with you, ever. Um, if, if I live to be 80, I don't know how that makes my kids, but um, gosh, they'll be about my age, maybe. Um, I want relationship with them. Let me challenge you this week to do that, and and not just dads, but parents in general. And you know what? That actually applies to all of us. God demonstrated his love for us, and he's called us to do the same. 
for those around. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you love one another. And we can do that by, by being present with people in the community. Trust me, sometimes we look at our world and say, you know what? I think I'm just going to bring it all in here. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just going to back away from all that. God's called us to be the salt and light in this world. And we do that by being present with them. And, and then we can pursue relationship with people so that we can share the gospel with them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. I thank you that you always take initiative in demonstrating your love for us. God, we know that there's never going to be a time when you're not there for us. That you're faithful and you're true. And, and Father... Thank you that you always pursue relationship with us. If, if ever there's separation between us and you, it's not because you've moved, we have. And, and yet, Lord, you even, you even continue to pursue us as your children. That you desire a, a love relationship with us, which blows us away that you, the creator of everything that is, wants to have a relationship with us. Father, would you help us to to do that in the lives of our children. And our children may be grown and have kids of their own. God, is never too late to start. It's never too late to renew. It's never too late uh, to do that better. And God, we, we know we can only do that because you work in us and through us. And we pray that you do that in a way that brings you honor and glory and brings people to faith in Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.